This is The Other 14 Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 24 of The Other 14 Podcast, the only podcast that forgets all about the so-called Big Six and focuses just on the other 14 teams of the Premier League. This week, Eddie Howe's men managed to return to winning ways after overcoming Wolves with a 2-1 win, while Bournemouth, at the time the bottom place team in the Premier League, caused a massive upset in the early Saturday kickoff. This week, as always, we're joined by Tom. Hello, Reese. Hello, Tom. Tom, this week, it seems that most teams down in the relegation battle picked up points and has now squeezed it even tighter than it was before, with now only five points separating bottom place and 12th. And all the teams who are at the up top end of that, so Palace, Wolves and Forest, all with losses, they've been caught up again ever so slightly. Not so long ago, we were writing off Bournemouth and Southampton, but between them, they've been able to pick up a valuable three points or so over the last couple of game weeks. Were we wrong to write them off, or do you still see them taking the drop? At this point in time, I'll probably still say that they are the one's favourites for the drop, but, I mean, with five points separating 12th and bottom, it's just an absolute madness as to what's going on in this year's relegation battle. I don't think I've ever seen it this tight. Um, and you know, potentially with Southampton, if they can sort of re- regain a little bit of form, Bournemouth, who knows what that sort of one nil win against Liverpool will certainly um buoy them on. Hopefully, um, who knows where this is going to end up? I mean, I've I've always said from from the um from the get go with how this sort of this year's relegation battle sort of starting to play out that there is definitely at least one team I think that would be a surprise surprise drop to most people who definitely weren't on the cards at the start of the season. Okay, so not that long ago we were saying Bournemouth and Southampton are going. Let whether that's the case, who then out of the rest do you think could be the surprise drop and would most people would consider a surprise? Ooh, good question. Because I think at the start of the season people wouldn't have put West Ham, Leicester, Everton, Wolves or Palace in a relegation fight. Well, in all fairness to Forest, just because they were newly promoted, people might have considered them in Mm. the battle. So out of Palace, Wolves, Everton, Leicester and West Ham, who do you think is most likely or who do you have a hunch might be this surprise drop? My surprise... In terms of where they've been all season, I would have to say is West Ham, just purely with the fact, you know, they've been sort of solid the last couple of years, you know, playing European football on sort of, a, you know, the second season on the bounce now. For them to be down where they are is, I think, quite a shock, uh, especially with, you know, the numbers that they've brought in and the um, the, the sort of calibre of player that they've, they've brought in over the, over the summer. But I think where it is now standing. I think the ones that could definitely... I, but I still think West Ham will be safe eventually, um, but I think it will be close. I think the ones that could really potentially end up there if they don't change their fortunes anytime soon is Crystal Palace. Yeah, we'll talk a bit about Palace later on, but they definitely have... If you're not winning at all this calendar year so far, no mm. winning 10, like with 
no shots on target in your last three games, a Premier League first. That is an astonishing record. No, not even it's an never optimistic been done kind before. of not even from Derby 30 yards. That. Yeah, that is astonishing. Um, what do you make of though Leicester? That's now four games with four straight losses. Um, and then Forest have a one in five with alternating draws and wins, um, depending if they're home and away, pretty much. Um, they're the thing is, no team down there is on a good run of form at all, and it is really picking up scraps, and that's why the occasional win is a surprise, like with Bournemouth's result, yeah, I, over I, I Liverpool. Um, I just, yeah, for me. That's the thing. I think it's impossible. There's no there's no team I what Southampton and Bournemouth have picked up surprise results, and that has shocked me. Southampton, obviously, with their draw this weekend and their win last weekend against Chelsea, and then Bournemouth beating Liverpool is obviously a massive shock. Um, A couple of draws distributed round the other teams, but I mean Liverpool like Robin Hood this year with the way they've been sort of treating teams in the relegation fight. Oh, absolutely. So I I, I couldn't say. I, I do think there's a chance anyone from... I say that a couple of weeks ago, I said, oh, Palace could be in the fight, but I don't think they'll go down. Well, they, they're in it as much as anyone else. And, they're on uh, relegation form. And exactly. it, it seems to be no 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 signs of letting up no, anytime soon. At all. Um Anyway, before we tackle the big topics of the week, over to you, Tom, with the classified results for the game week. So here are the classified results for match week 27 of the Premier League 22-23 season. AFC Bournemouth 1, nil. Everton 1, Brentford 0. Leeds United 2, Brighton and Albion 2. Leicester City 1, 3. 3, Nottingham Forest 1. Crystal Palace, nil. 1. Fulham, nil. 3. Nil. Southampton, nil. West Ham United, 1. Aston Villa, 1. Newcastle United, 2. Wolverhampton Wanderers, 1. Tom, thank you very much for those results. Um, I think the first thing we really need to talk about is Brentford. So last week's episode. It's not our fault. Last week's episode, we were talking about no, the amazing no. run they were on. They no accountability. Produced, they then produced a great result against Fulham, beating them three-one, and then they go up to Goodison, which Dutch ball got the better of them. Well, the thing is, it was a first-minute goal, and then they just couldn't break through, could they? Whatsoever. Yeah. Um, so I do feel a little bit sad that Brentford's magical run. I say magical run. They are ninth in the table, which is a very good position for them. Um, and they do have two games in hand still on uh, a couple of the teams above them. So I think these kind of couple, double game weeks, let's see how they play out for them and whether it'll catch up on them in terms of getting points. Um, but it did seem a little bit sad that they've added added to their loss total for the year and now have five losses with that 1-0 result away at Goodison. Yeah, I mean, I, I ultimately, I don't, I don't think they should be too disappointed. I think it is, you know, we have to take a little bit of perspective here with with Brentford. Um, you know, for them only only to have five losses all season, it is 
at this stage of the season, an incredible achievement. And for them to have gone 12 games unbeaten like they did, again, is an incredible achievement. I don't think anyone was expecting Brentford to do the sort of things that they have been doing all season long. Um, but they've just been sort of quietly going about their business. This is why we did our feature last week, because they have been so going along so quietly about their business and sort of like secretly coming along with like an 11-game winning, uh, unbeaten run, rather. Um, I just think... You can be a little bit too attached to runs potentially and it, it might get the better of you and you might sort of lose a little bit of focus. But ultimately, I think Everton are still fighting for their lives at the moment. Deitch and Everton have had a few sort of poor results of late, but for them to sort of get back to winning ways, I think especially at home um, after the Aston Villa result a couple of weeks ago, I think that was that was definitely key for them. So um, I don't think Brent and Brentford should be too despondent, um, just sort of, remember that you you are in ninth position and having still a stellar, stellar season. Yes, and that is ninth position where if they do win their games in hand, that will push them up the table a yeah. little bit and would be an even more promising finish for them. So Europe isn't out the question yet for them. Oh, by but, no means. Um, but obviously still disappointing for them to go to a team that's in a relegation scrap and lose. Um, well, we've mentioned it already. The big surprise of uh, the weekend was definitely that early kickoff and a reminder why no one should ever back an early kickoff result in Akers or in fantasy football because that 12.30 kickoff always causes absolute carnage. And yeah, we, ha- the- we haven't won an early kickoff all season long. Wow. And that is um, with, well, a great result in terms of uh, revenge, isn't it, Tom? After losing 9-0 away at Anfield earlier in the season, which cost Scott Parker his job, Bournemouth at home, vitality, boom, 1-0, and um, really quite possibly the stronger team for most of the game. Yeah, I mean, Liverpool are, are very much a roller coaster team right now. Um, you know, they go they go and beat United 7-0 and then end up losing to Bournemouth. They were Bournemouth 1-0. I mean, it pretty, pretty much sums up their season, but um, huge, huge, huge result for Bournemouth, which could, if they use it to their advantage, could have huge ramifications um, for the relegation fight. All I'm saying is it, it's 9-1 on aggregate. So, well, <laughs> yes, you're not wrong. Um, it is 9-1 on aggregate. I suppose, once again, we talk about endlessly the results that, it's the results against the teams around you that you want. Um, obviously, last week, they we thought they were going to cause a massive upset against top of the table Arsenal by taking a 2-0 lead. Didn't come through, but got the 1-0 win and held on. And then their next three games are all against teams who are not in the relegation fights. They've got Aston Villa, uh-huh. Fulham and Brighton. So they are tough games. And they will be, although they're not teams around them, um, you got to say pretty much every game for every team at the moment is a must win. So they're quite important games coming up for these, even though they're not against teams around them. And to be honest, Bournemouth's record against teams around them isn't so great. So obviously it is a bit of a weird one, isn't it? They almost need to be picking up the local points, but going for the points far up the table. So yes, well against Villa, Fulham and Brighton might, um, might actually do them some favours. Yeah, I, I think, you know, it's it's easy to say, especially in, in relegation fights, that you've got to pick up points against teams in and around you because, you know, that's how you end up climbing out of those um, those positions. But 
we are gradually getting to the point now where we're, we are running out of games left in the season. So at some point or another, if you're not picking up, you know, um, Bournemouth play Leicester on the 8th of April. That's four games away at the moment. Mm. Um, or rather three games because they still have to play Villa, Fulham and Brighton. If they lose those three games, then what's the point of trying to pick up points against against Leicester? Because you could end up being well off the pace at that point. Yeah. So I think Bournemouth have to go into these games using this Liverpool result as a bit of a as a bit of a sort of springboard and just try to pick up, I don't know, maybe if you aim for like three points, whether that's three draws or a surprise win against, I don't know, either Fulham or Brighton, just just something to to at least go into that Leicester game on the 8th of April with still being in contention to keeping yourself out of that relegation fight. Yeah, I think looking at that, I think the three points from the three games, I almost think for the teams down there, any team that can get as many points as they've got games left in the season, that would probably get them safe. Yeah. Um, because that will push... Well, that's the thing. They're all kind of... If they get a point... Every one of them gets a point a game, they will all end near that 40 mark of safe haven. But I think there would be teams that do fall significantly short of that. Like Even looking at um, Leicester's current run, they've only got three from their last five, yep. which obviously isn't hitting the mark. So it'll be interesting to see um, those couple of games for Bournemouth and whether they can really use it as a springboard. So, Tom, one of the teams that has been dragged into the relegation fight very much is Patrick Vieira's Crystal Palace. So over their last 10 games, they have won once, drawn four and lost Five. So that is seven points from ten, which I suppose isn't the worst, but they went from having a comfortable gap of a good number of points from the teams below them to now being very much only a couple points away from the relegation zone. And that's cause for concern, isn't it? Oh, huge concern. Um, I think that the main thing is... You know, we, we've talked about the likes of Bournemouth and, and Southampton um, of late. The thing that Palace aren't doing at the moment is winning games. And I think what Bournemouth and Southampton have done, the fact that they're still in contention, even though on paper you'd say that they are the weakest teams, they're still in contention because they could pick up an odd win here or there just to keep themselves in the conversation. Yeah. What Palace have avoided to do, or I'm not saying they're doing it intentionally because, you know, you want to keep yourself away from relegation, but the thing that they're not doing at the moment is they're not winning games. And you look at their run of, well, basically since the new year, they've had to play United twice, in which they drew once and, and lost the other at Old Trafford. They've played Liverpool at home, they've, they've drawn that, and they had a close draw against Man City. Um, but they've also had to play sort of teams in and around. Sorry, they lo- they lost to Man City 1-0. Oh, sorry, yeah, they lost to, they lost to City 1-0 um, at Selhurst Park at the weekend. Yeah, they've also played the likes of Brentford, Brighton. Um, and it sort of goes again to the discussion, uh, the point that I made um, you know, a few minutes ago um, with Bournemouth um, in the fact that their upcoming fixtures are not necessarily teams in and around them, but they need to start picking up points in those games. Palace have done also very much the same. They've, they've played teams sort of not in and around them, but sort of up that top, topper end of the table, that higher end of the table. 
and are not picking up points. Well, and the last the last time they played, you know, a team in that sort of bottom nine was their last win, effectively, which was Bournemouth back in thirty first of December. Which and is since then, a very long time ago. <laughs> so, I I really I don't want to see Palace go down because I think they're a good setup, and obviously they're in a bit of a transition period since Roy. With Patrick uh, Vieira coming in, so these new youngsters coming in, the likes of Edouard, the likes of Elise, um, Eze as well. You know, Zaha's still very much, I'd say, not so much the leader, but the sort of the star of the team. Um, and Vieira's tried to put his own spin on it, but for whatever reason, results just are not coming. And the thing that the the damning thing I think about Palace of late is definitely the stat that we mentioned at the top of the show, which is the fact they haven't had a shot on target in the last three games, which is a Premier League first. I think first thing first, they obviously don't concede a lot of goals. So defensively, they're, they're getting it right. But they need to start scoring goals because that is, you know, it's, it's a cliche, but that is the only way you win games. Absolutely. Um, and yeah, looking at their recent returns, there's... They've not scored more than one goal since that game against Brighton. Um, mm. sorry, that game against Bournemouth on New Year's Eve. Um, but what I found interesting looking at their results is in their last... So they've got 11 games left. They've got to play of the um, big six, Arsenal and Tottenham. Yep. The other team that's kind of doing well is Fulham, who's up there. Then their remaining eight games spread out throughout the 11 are against all of the relegation rivals. They are playing every single one of them, which... Finals? Well, kind of, but then, like, so they've got Arsenal this weekend, which you kind of go, well, Arsenal are on a tremendous run of wins, 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 wins. Yeah. That's hard to go to the Emirates for Palace to get a result, but you never know. They might do. But yeah, then they've got Leicester, Leeds, Southampton, Everton, Wolves, West Ham in a six-game run. Yeah, which that is got that they they've got a huge April coming up. Yeah, that those April fixtures are absolutely vital for them. And to be honest, once they come out of April in May, they've got Tottenham, Bournemouth. Fulham and Forest. So the remaining two of the kind of relegation rivals down there, Forest Palace, um, last game of the season, could be a huge relegation fight, fight for survival. But it's more the fact that we're talking about them playing the teams around them. The Palace haven't had the opportunity for this half of the season, pretty much. They've been playing teams above them. But my thing is, when they played the likes of Villa, Brentford, Brighton, they weren't that far off the pace of those teams, but they have dropped and mm. dropped and dropped. Well, it's not that they've dropped. They've just not moved. They've not really got the points to push they their way up. A little and bit. they've just been caught by everyone else. So yeah. looking at their last 11, they're playing every single one, which is obviously a great opportunity because then you're like, well, they're only playing two of the big six up there. Yeah. So... You know, that while I think some of the others are playing maybe two or three of them. So it's just the fact that every team is going to be looking at those fixtures against Palace and they're going to be going, well, they, this is a chance. They're just massive games. Every single one. It's not almost. While I think Bournemouth, for example, could look at the Liverpool game 
an unexpected win, you could half say for that Bournemouth side, they could be sitting in the dressing room going, oh, well, this is a bit of a free hit. No one expects yeah. the result. Obviously, you don't want to go out and just and lose poorly. You want to give a good effort. But no one's expecting the points, so you can kind of play with some freedom. While these just... Palace in April do not have a free hit, do they? It's no, just going to really be don't. back-to-back big games, and they'll be absolutely vital to their Premier League survival. If they go through those six games in April, that seems a lot of football, uh, but it's correct. If they go through those six games in April and only pick up two wins, they're in trouble. Yeah, I I think they have to be thinking at least two or three wins there. Yeah, especially with that run of fixtures, because I I on because this is where we talk about surprises in in, in the Premier League this year. Um, and who could be up for relegation because it is such a tight, tight, um, tight battle. Palace have ended up in this situation where they are being dragged into into the talk. Um, but I think I've always sort of viewed Palace as you know they're a mid table side now. They're well established in the league, and I, I can't see them going down. You know, Vieira's come in; he's obviously put his own spin on it, and I think it's sort of gradually going in the right direction. Palace need to just grab the ball by the horns and April, I just think they need to get that conversation away as quickly as possible. So these run of fixtures are absolutely crucial in doing that. Yeah, it's just that there's every one of these is going to be a big game for them and it's going to be so tough. Um, Patrick Vieira, sorry, go on. So I just wanted to go and look at how they've done this first half of the season. Um, when they played all of these teams. So up until this point, they've played all eight of the eight teams they've still got to play. And in that, they did win five, which is obviously quite a significant... That's a a good return. If they could win those five again, then absolutely brilliant. And they did have a hundred percent. They did have a hundred percent record at home against them, and they're playing five of these games at home. Yeah, the challenge is back then when they won those games, they were playing really good, attacking, yeah, confident football. This confidence team is, is key, and this team is so down on their confidence. They were yeah. aiming for a yeah. mid-table finish with, and they were playing really well, and now that's been completely sapped out of them at this point, hasn't it? Yeah, I think I think confidence is key there, and if if they can have. You know, a good result in um, what's the next game? So the next game uh, is Arsenal. Brighton. Oh, Sorry, who are you talking about? Palace. Yeah, Palace. Next home. Uh, next games against. Um... They played Wednesday. Oh, they've got a catch-up fixture. Yeah, it's the M twenty three derby. Oh, they've all yes. Sorry, they do. They've got that Brighton fixture. So, um, so yeah. they've got twelve games left. Sorry, I didn't. I completely missed that as that catch-up fixture. So yeah, Palace actually have 12 games left, um, eight of which are against the bottom eight, and then they've also got Fulham, Brighton, Tottenham and Arsenal to play as well. Yeah. Sorry, I completely forgot that was a double game week fixture. So obviously Brighton being the, the derby game, I think they'll have to be bought up for that. But that again, that is a really, really tough, tough fixture for them. Um, well, they only played it in February, didn't they? The reverse fixture. Yeah. At, um, at Selhurst, which was a one-all draw. One-all draw, yeah. So, 
it's I don't know, it's a tough fixture for them to come out. Obviously, it's a derby, you want everything, but Brighton at the Amex are pretty strong. You, yeah. You wouldn't really back them that much. Yeah. I, would I you? Guess... Which sounds cruel, but you yeah. just don't really see them getting much out of it. Yeah, I, I think so. And I, I, I still, at this point, I would be surprised if Palace do go down. And so I, I do partially expect them to stay up. I guess the question is if they do stay up, and this is more directed to, to Palace fans, if, if, if there are any who listen. Patrick Vieira is currently third favourite for the for the chop. If Palace Ooh. stay up... Vieira's third favourite for the chop? I assume yeah. the only people who are more currently choppable than him are Brendan and Moisey. You got Moisey, but the other one is Conte. Oh, I'm surprised about because the way I've heard Leicester fans talk about um, their chances this season and Brendan, it was I'm my just opinion look- that we. Ju- I'm not saying it's wrong. Um, yeah, this is just directly looking at Skybet at the moment. Um, obviously, other betting companies aren't available. Um, but yeah, Palace fans, Vieira is currently third favourite for the chop. If you do stay up, is is this just an off season? Do you still feel as though your your season's been sort of tampered a little bit by our injuries and such? And such? Do you think Vieira is still the right man uh, for the job? Um, I guess a lot of those answers, a lot of those questions will be answered. I think come April um, in in that run of fixtures. I still don't see him being chopped because I think obviously Palace are quite the sort of project team as opposed to you know they're not sort of they're not quick to make decisions in terms of letting people go obviously Frank de Burr never worked out he only got like what four games or whatever um but you know the last recent managers have been like the likes of Roy Hodgson and Patrick has been in for at least a year and a half now which is sort of moving towards in this day and age as long term so I still don't see them making a decision this year but I just wondered if if Palace fans still view him as, as the man to take them forward yeah, that is that is a very good point. I kind of just viewed Palace as oh, they're just an underperforming team at the moment, but reality their structure's pretty good. And mm. um it's just a bit of an off period for them. But yeah, you do have to think at what not that I think he should get sacked by any means. I don't think he should. The fact cause... that he's that his third favourite is mm. the thing is, in reality, if a team gets relegated, ultimately the club pretty much Almost makes always that decision. Or makes yeah. that decision. It um, is rare, but yeah, it's just whether if they only just survive, whether that's enough. What what was Patrick Vieira's target at the start of the season? What was he given as a target? Was it to just saying that all of these teams down here, if their target is to have a comfortable, a reasonably good mid finish table, any of those bottom nine could mid-table end up finish. could end up finishing what twelfth. And, yeah. so, and everyone goes, oh, 12th is, 12th, for most of those teams, 12th is a reasonable finish. Well, we'll, we'll guess, where Palace actually, fin- guess where Palace finished last season. Did they finish 12th? They finished 12th. Which, and I think the season before under Roy, they finished 12th as well. Give me one second. 14th. Oh, okay. But you know what I mean? Like any team yeah. that finishes kind of 12th, 13th, most fans at the start of the season for those clubs would go, oh, if you finish 12th, bar maybe... Um, Leicester and West Ham fans. Yeah, m- most of those teams in the relegation fight, if they were told at the start of the season you're going to finish twelve or thirteen, they'd go, 
oh yeah, I'll take that. And probably if a manager's yeah. like, oh, you're you if please finish your target is to finish twelfth or thirteenth. That is still reasonable, even though I would not consider any of these good seasons from these teams. Which no. which is uh, I guess, I guess it shows how yeah. close it is and how scary it is the yeah. fact that these managers could hit their target of oh you finished like near enough mid table, but you've had an awful season and you were yeah. pretty much that as close to relegation as you were anything else. Yeah, exactly. I think that's probably why I made the point I did last week about Palace for the fact you know in comparison to Brentford. Um, it just does seem as though Palace have accepted mid-table mediocrity. Um, there didn't seem to be anything pushing. They've obviously brought in Vieira to try and re-energise and sort of rejuvenate the squad and sort of bring in like the average age to like sort of a lot lower than it than it was in previous years. Um, but you know, you, you look at Palace's finishes over the last sort of couple of years. You know, twelfth last year, season before that was fourteenth. Um, the season before that was 14th again, it, it's very sort of stagnated. So, um, see, see I, always I even thought... though, even though, even though at this point of the year, I, I think you know, Palace fans would at this point in, in time would bite your hand off and say 12th is absolutely fine. Um, I just want to know where where it's going. It's the manner of which it's 12th, yeah. though, right? Yeah, exactly. Um... I think you, you view potential relegation and finishing 12th as like an absolute success, yeah. But I don't. I don't think at the start of the season, relegation was on the cards for Palace at all. No, not at all. And I don't think that'd be something they would want to consider at all. I suppose when you're saying about Palace stagnation, it really makes me think of um, Fulham going back to kind of like well before that that almost that first relegation for them, or what yeah. we perceive to be their first relegation, probably oh, how many years ago now? Um, oh, quite a while. Um, but either way, I always considered them. I always said, "Oh, isn't it a bit boring being a Fulham fan? Because you always kind of finish mid-table. You're never in a relegation fight, apart from that one." 2013-14. Yeah. So up until that point, I was like, "Oh, isn't it a bit boring being a Fulham fan? Because you're never in a relegation battle. You're never in like a European fight, apart from that one year. And yeah. like you kind of just always kind of just mid-table. And that was fine for a while, I guess. And then obviously they got the boot and went down." And it just feels like, to me, that that's a similar position to where Palace are at the moment. As you say, they're kind of just floating around existing in the Premier League. Yeah. But for a good number of years now. And it, nothing's really changed over a good period of time now. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's pretty much exactly my point. Um, yeah. So, but it's, so Palace fans do let us know. Yeah, absolutely. Like, if if you were to finish 17th and what, and I, above relegation zone on goal difference, would that be a good season for Vieira? Because I'm not so sure. No. So, Tom, we talked about last week, Brentford clearly overcoming the second season syndrome. Um, And it really got us thinking about how much of this curse actually exists. And you've done a bit of research into this for this week's Stats Corner. And welcome to Stats Corner. Hello everyone and welcome to another edition of Stats Corner. Now for this week's feature, I've delved once more into the history books. We all know we're coming up to that time of the season where the battle for Premier League survival is at its most intense. 
as well as those teams one division below looking desperately for the golden fields of the top flight. Um, and as Reese has already mentioned, this had us thinking. So with both Fulham doing well as a newly promoted side and Brentford seemingly putting a stop to the old adage, the second season syndrome, I came up with the question of what percentage of teams who either in their first or second season in the top flight end up being sent back to the championship? Now, since its inception back in 1992, there has been a total of 91 relegations from the Premier League. So how many of those sides relegated have been in their first season? The answer is 40. It's happened on 40 occasions, but there definitely been potential of adding to that this year, as we've already discussed in the show. So that's a percentage of 43.9. Now, there's been a number of teams where this has happened to on multiple occasions. Three clubs have done it three times and one club has done it four any idea as to who's culprit, who the culprits are? Reese. Well, based on their um, absolute yo-yo skills, I'm going to assume it is Norwich. Yes, Norwich are the only team to have managed it four times, whereby they get relegated in the first season back in the Prem. As I mentioned, there are three other teams who have managed it three times, and those teams are Crystal Palace, Watford, and West Brom. I definitely probably would have had a guess at Watford and West Brom, but definitely wouldn't have really thought about Palace, to be honest. I think Palace was a sort of like a, a mix, because I remember them coming up, um, this is when I sort of like remembered football sort of watching as a kid. I remember them coming up 04, 05, when sort of like the Mourinho era was for Chelsea. And I'm Pretty certain they went down, and that, yeah, that was that. So I was gonna say, I think for away. me, that's the, the era is the early 2000s where this would have happened, and maybe sometime in the 90s. But since they kind of came up, um, well, quite a while ago now, but they've been quite a constant presence in the Premier mm. League. I can't remember the last time they dipped up and down, but yeah, um, okay, that's but three, that, three that teams have done three times, yeah. so. That's quite that, impressive. That that Palace relegation in 04 or 05 actually turned out to be their fourth relegation ever from the Premier League. So it happened quite a lot previous to that. On, that's that's four times they got relegated in 12 years of the Premier League existing. Yeah, so they got relegated <laughs> in 94-95. They got relegated in 97-98. And they got relegated in... Maybe I've miscounted <laughs> oh no sorry yeah they got they got relegated in the first ever season of the Premier in 92 93 uh, 94 95 97 98 and 04 05 wow that's quite impressive the impressive number of relegations there um and they're still here um okay so 43% of teams get relegated on their first season of the premier league that's that's yes. that's quite impressive that's that's quite a number isn't it? you know it's it's near enough a majority now so you know it is it is definitely a huge risk of you coming up and there is the potential of you going down. Um, I suppose that's definitely covering, like, that's definitely one team that's promoted will always go down. That's almost covering, yeah, that's over one third. So, yeah. Yeah, Okay, that's interesting. I also had a quick look at whether there's any correlation as to whether, well, the way these teams finished the previous year when they got promoted, i.e. is there 
you know, if, if you come up as, as champions in the championship, are you more likely to go down? If you come up through the playoffs, are you more likely to go down, et cetera, et cetera. So obviously, as everyone knows in the Football League, there's there's three ways effectively which you can come up. There's one via winning the league. Um, then you can get the other automatic promotion spot and then you can win via the playoffs. So here's the split how it goes down. So out of the teams that end up going down in their first season, 27.5% of those teams have come up as champions. 30% have come up automatically and 42.5% have come up via the playoffs. Wow. that that's... So there is a bit of a split there. So that's 40% of the 43% are playoff champions. So that's yeah. that's quite impressive. I suppose for me, a lot of the time, and I think a lot of probably Premier League fans do this, is that when, a, when you have the three teams promoted into the Premier League, you don't really consider how they've come up. Do you, on the whole, yeah. you don't. You, you just see really them as you just, you just see them as newly promoted teams. Just go, oh, it's a newly promoted team. Well, in fact, you're right, and I don't know the split on this in terms of how often this happens. But because the playoffs, for those that don't well, I've know, got the numbers. anyone in the playoffs can finish between. Uh, it's the teams that finish between third and sixth in the table. So in theory, you could have the sixth yeah. place championship team get promoted. I'm not sure how often that happens, um, but. I'll need to have a look at that. But well, well, no, I'm, I'm not. Yeah, I'm not expecting. It, but it's more of a case of that yeah. is actually a sizable difference. And then we kind of consider them just as the same as the champions most of the time, wouldn't we? Yeah, exactly. But you, I mean, you look at seasons sort of gone by, especially sort of recent seasons. There has been definitely teams above, like when Fulham came up last year, they were miles ahead of any of the teams in and around them. Um, yeah. Burnley again this year they look to be sort of champions in waiting coming up. So we'll see how that affects them if they do get promoted. Burnley fans, I'm sorry if I've jinxed it. Um, now, when it comes down to second season syndrome, I'll split this down into two parts. So if we're purely looking at teams who get relegated from the Premier League a year after their promotion, then this has happened on 11 occasions. So that's 12.1% of the 90, what did I say, 90, 91 teams um, that have ever been or 91 times the teams have been relegated from the Premier League. So Hull are the only team that have managed this twice. There's only been a... that For me, that seems quite low considering how much people say, oh, it's second season syndrome. Yeah. Um, I I guess second season syndrome, there's... I'll I'll get into it a little bit later. Um, Hence why I've sort of tried to split it into two parts. Yeah. Um, So in terms of those, that 12.1%, um, as I mentioned, Hull are the only team that have managed um, to be relegated into their second season back in the Premier League uh, on on multiple occasions. So they've done it first time in 2008-2009 when it was the... God, who was the manager then? That must have been Phil Brown then, wasn't it? Um, Hull? Yeah, it was around about then. Yeah. Where G- Giovanni was their star player. Mm, yeah. Um, and then it happened again in 14-15 and then obviously they had a I think that was the season. I oh, know it was. I well, think they had Marco Silva, didn't they? Um, yes, they did. Yeah. However, second season syndrome to me means teams that perform beyond their station or expectations in their first season up and then suffer, suffer a drop off in form in year two. So now, in the history of the Premier League, I'd arguably say, and I've looked at it, that there's been four examples of teams falling victim to second season syndrome. Um, 
and end up being relegated. And I'm basing this on a top 10 finish um, okay. in, in year one. I guess also when you're sort of discussing second season syndrome and the fact that it's widely talked about, I think you would also say that, you know, that, that doesn't include teams that have been up and then ended up second season just about surviving. So I think that still is a still very much a thing. And I'd yeah. like to look, look at that um, sort of a little bit later on. Yeah, look at first season finishes compared to second season yeah. finishes, regardless of if they're but, relegated. Here are these here are these four examples where I say teams have definitely suffered or fallen victim of second season syndrome and it's ended up being relegation for them. So the earliest one, or the latest one, um, rather, is Sheffield United back in 2020, 2021. So they ended up uh, being relegated that year. That was the COVID full COVID season. The season before that, they finished ninth. Yeah, so they I had do a tremendous them. season. They had a really good season. That, that the team um so there was Henderson in goal, wasn't it? And um, yeah. those brought in the likes of Sander Berg in the um, field. Yeah, they had. Well, it, it was under um, Chris Wilder. Chris Wilder, and everyone uh, wrote them off that that year at all. Yeah, and then up. they played this new style of football, which everyone was confused by, by having like uh, more aggressive defenders, which obviously worked, and it would just, would seem that it worked until they got sussed out. Yeah. So yeah, they finished ninth in the, the previous season to them then being relegated. Uh, Birmingham in 2010 and 2011, whereby they finished ninth also. Uh, the season before that was 2009-2010. Um, um, Reading... you, say, you say second season syndrome, but in that season they got relegated, they did win the League Cup. I guess they did, Yes. Um, but they still got relegated. Yeah, yeah, they still end up in the championship and yeah. haven't been haven't been back. No, that that was the last time that Birmingham ever yeah, been in the they, league. they made the um, they made the playoff semi finals and lost to West Ham and yeah, was West and that, Ham. that that was a, that was a weird period for Birmingham fans as well because obviously Alex McLeish won the the league cup in two thousand and ten two thousand and eleven, and then I think the season after or maybe a couple of seasons after that got made Villa manager. Yes, that went well. That went really well. Um, then the other team, the third team on that list I'm looking at is Reading um, in 2007, 2008. So they finished um, in eighth the year before they got relegated. So you would see, say on the face of that, you know, fantastic season, but then finishing 18th the season after, huge drop-off, definite, definite case of second season syndrome. I'm not a doctor, but I can, I can definitely... Definitely diagnose that. that. Um, and then the big one, um, and I think the the most obvious case, I say the most obvious, but I don't think it's one that I remember. Ipswich in 2001 and 2002. So the year... Okay. So the year they got relegated, they finished in, uh, in 18th. Obviously, bottom three, relegated, done. Season before that, they finished fifth. Oh, wow. So that's... That's it. I mean, I think at the time that is that was still a European spot. Wow, that's incredible! So that's and then once spot. once again, never been back. Yep, exactly. That was the last time that Ipswich ever been back, and they've obviously had a, a relegation to to League One um, in that time. And I think they still are uh, in in League One, uh, yeah. trying to make it way because they were very much a, a solid sort of Championship side for a good number of years. And, and then they sacked McCarthy, and it all went wrong for them. It did. It went a bit tits up, didn't it? So 
Now, obviously, parachute payments are a huge financial boost um, to teams relegated from the treasure trove. That is the Premier League. So going at it from the reverse angle, I then ask myself the question, how many times have teams made it back at the first time of asking? And the answer to that is 25. So out of the total uh, 92 promotions that have ever made into the Premier League since its inception, 25 have come up at the first go after relegation, and that's 27.2%. So wow, that's quite, once again, yeah. about a th- just under a third. So yeah. yeah. But then in comparison to teams that get relegated the first season, that was what I want to say, like 43.9% in comparison yeah. to that 27 point. So there is a bit of a... There's yes, there's a, almost a, like a more there. fresh blood being brought into the Premier League. Yeah. But they're like, I suppose, and that's the thing, when you look through the championship table, there are so many teams that you go, they're in the Premier League, they've been in the Premier League, they've been in the Premier yeah. League. You look at Bolton, Blackburn, Burnley, Sunderland, um, Norwich, like they're all team, West Brom, Watford, they're all teams that you were quite Birmingham, like in the Premier League and quite commonly in for quite various periods of time throughout their uh, throughout yeah. their history. Car- yeah, I mean Car- Cardiff, for example, they they've been in the Premier League a fair number of seasons. Sheffield United have been on and on. Say Cardiff, they both times that they they've only been up twice in the Premier League in both seasons. They got relegated. Oh, were they two? Like, in the first, first. Oh, yeah, they're, they're two out of two. Oh wow, that's quite impressive. Okay, uh, maybe. Um, in ter- if we're looking at team like highest number of relegations from the Premier League again, have a good guess. Highest number of, regardless of how many seasons. Doesn't matter how many, yeah. Number of well, relegations. So once again, Norwich have got to be up there because. Six. <laughs> Six relegations from the Premier League. So hang on. They st- the thing is, they started, they were one of the first teams in the Premier League, weren't they a founding club? They were a founding club. So, um, and did you say they've then they've then gone down on the first time? So they had their stint in the Premier League. Yep. For, so the stint in the Premier League out in its inception, then got relegated, and in that time they've been yo-yoed four times as well as an additional promotion. Yeah, they've, they've had a few yo-yos. I was trying to, yeah, I was hoping to do a little bit sort of like percentage of what. Like a yo-yo percentage, I don't know if that's an actual stat or not. But well, for um, them it must be significant. Um, sorry, sorry I've just realised that I put some data together ages ago, and I think it would have been. Quite is this something that could have helped me? Oh, could it? Um, let me try and find it. Is it in here? No. So yeah, I'm trying to look. So obviously, yeah, Norwich were a founding founding member of the Premier League, so they get relegated ninety four ninety five. They come back up in. God, when was it? Um, so they came Nor- back up in 0405. So they Nor- then get relegated that yeah, same season. Norwich's placement in the Premier League. So they had a third place, then a 12th place in the first two seasons. Yep. Then 20th, 19th, <laughs> then 12th and 11th in, ele- uh, in 11, 12, and 12, 13. Then 18th, 19th, 20th, 20th. Yeah. So they've they've, they've had a bit of a shocker um in recent in recent memory. Of, of their seasons in the Premier League. So they've had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. They've had ten seasons in the Premier League and one, two, three, four, five, six have ended six in relegation. relegation. So sixty percent. Barring teams that have only been in the Premier League like one or two yeah. seasons, that is yeah. incredibly high. 
Yeah, I, I suppose you might you might say, you know, what's a qualifying factor there? I think you'd probably say um, at least probably like five seasons or so. Yeah. So yeah, rele- a relegation factor. I think that's that's that'll be an interesting stat to come up with. Um, Who is the most relegationable team that has ever been in the Prem? Well, I've. Oh, I think that'd have to be Norwich. Yeah, Nottingham Forest, surprisingly high relegation factor. Yeah. So well, it just depends on this season how they end up. Whether they. Um... This is what I'm saying. Like the numbers, um, first team sort of first season back. Could they add up to that number as well? Could they? That they add up to that forty-three point nine percent I had mentioned earlier. Yeah. Well, okay. We need to so, segue away from the fact that I've just broken your heart by showing you this. Absolutely movie. broken my heart. <laughs> so, absolutely. I, I just, I just did, didn't think that I completely forgot about its existence. Not, not that you know. I'll let everyone into a little secret. You know, Reese sent me a text early this morning, sort of saying that oh, I've got an idea for a stats corner. Oh, well, let's have a look at sort of teams who've ever been relegated on the first first go and like back, or you know, talk about second season syndrome whilst sitting on this massive database that he had. Firstly, I'd like to defend myself by saying. I put all this information together myself, so pat on the back for me. Oh, yeah, good. Yeah, pat on the back. And yeah, absolutely. secondly, um, I didn't really think the task would be that difficult, and I'm really sorry. That's, that's so you were telling me about go. teams that got promoted on the first time? Yeah. Um, so yeah, we're basically saying like uh, it was 27.2% of the teams that have ever been promoted um, up to the Prem have done it on the um, the first time of asking since they were relegated the season before um, and we're doing that in sort of comparison so then moving on I've got other oddities yeah other oddities that I came across in this sort of search back through the years and I've got some small factoids that you can take away with you and use on any occasion if you so desire whether it be pub quizzes or Christmas with the family or even on a first date there's only been one season where all three promoted teams have suffered relegation. Only one season where all three promoted teams have suffered relegation. Oh, that's a toughie. Um, what sort of era are we talking about? I here? mean, we were alive, but we would not have remembered it. Okay, so we were alive but not remembered it. So I'm talking I'm not... bit. So we're talking like 97, 98, maybe. 97, um, 98. Oh, spot on. What a great so guess. Bolton, Barnsley, and Palace came up and then they went down. <laughs> Oddly, they also went down in the same order that they came up in. So Bolton, what? Bolton came first. Barnsley came second and Palace, I can't remember where they exactly they finished in, in um in the old division one, but um they came up via the playoffs and then Bolton finished eighteenth, Barnsley finished nineteenth, and Palace finished twentieth. Wow, um, that's that's quite impressive. So So yeah, I, I thought, you know, there's always apart from one season, there's always been a team that has been promoted and managed to stay up, which I think is is quite good. That is yeah. Um sorry, I'm just sticking. It's quite a rare, rare, rare feature for, for teams to, to get relegated. Um well all three teams, all three promoted teams to get relegated. 
Well, that's quite impressive that they all did mm. it in the same season, in the same order. Yeah. Um, I suppose the question is then the teams that got of the teams that got relegated, and I've just looked this up to test you. So obviously, all of those three teams replaced teams below them. Mm-hmm. Um. So the teams that got relegated the season that they all got promoted were yeah. Forest, Borough, and Sunderland. Yep. Do you want to take a guess on where they finished in the uh, championship table that season? Uh, what, uh, Sunderland? Sunderland, Forest and Borough. So they all got relegated when um, when those three teams that you just mentioned got promoted. Yeah. So you're talking about um, so the, champ- the, well, the Division 1, 97-98? Yeah. Yep. God. Um, so all three of them. So I know I know Forest Borough came up the season after. Forest and Borough came up. Sunderland finished third and lost in the playoffs. Oh. But all three of them, the they three can, oh, relegated wow. teams. So is it almost that's an a exact madness. swap? That's though. an absolute madness. Now that is a great Wow, what what a season 96, 97, 97, 98 is. That's a great little well, transition. You'd say that's pretty boring. Well, but then Charlton snuck their way into the Premier League that season. Okay. So yeah. good old um, Charlton. Yeah, you could say that. Yeah. Um, um Sunderland actually lost in the playoff final on penalties to Charlton. Charlton. <laughs> oh, that would have that now that would have made it even better. That now that would have been a Great bit. Well, of that is that is a huge like OCD both, right there. As if both three, all yeah. six teams yo-yoed between them. Instead, it that was almost hilarious. perfection. Um, um, and finally, I've got one more royalty. There's only been one season where there's never been a newly promoted team relegated, a team being relegated in their second season, or teams coming up at the first time of asking. So sorry, so. There's only been one season where... where the teams that got relegated have not been sort of, um, or it was not been a newly promoted team that's relegated, or a team in their second season that's been relegated, or a team um, that's come up at the first time of asking. Oh, so you're saying all, the season before a season where all three people that got relegated were had previously been in the league? Is that yeah. what you're asking? Effectively. Oh. And this is in sort of our era of sort of ever since watching the Prem. Um, oh, let me think. I know that in fifteen sixteen, I remember it being pretty close because that was the season Newcastle went down. Yeah. And Villa went down as well. Yeah. But, but Norwich went down. But Norwich went down. Oh. So you know Norwich would have been up that season as well. Yeah. So it's not that season. Oh. But if you go back, I'd say, yeah, far, yeah four years. What season is it? Oh, wow. 11, 12. 12, 12 13. What a... No, 11, sorry, 11, 12. 11, 12. Yes, 11, 12. Wow. So, yeah, QPR, Norwich and Swansea all came up. And then 
Bolt, that was a season that we lost Bolton, Blackburn and Wolves. So Bolton, Blackburn had quite a lengthy stay because um, they were sort of early 2000s. Um, well, you know, Bolton and Blackburn of... got promoted in the same season. Yeah. They you both know, came up at the st- in 2001. Because that, that, that's that early sort of 2000s, the Bolton, Blackburn sides, you know, the likes of, um, oh Christ, um, well, JJ, Jack, uh, JJ Kocha, yeah, El Hadjouf, um, Nicholas Anelka, Gary Speed was at Morton Gans Pedersen. No- oh, Morton Gans Pedersen at Blackburn. Yeah. Um, they then had the likes of Christopher Samba, yeah. um, Brad Friedel, UCS Galinen was at Bolton. Oh, these Premier League are absolute legends. Yeah. And then also Wolves got relegated that year um, after a, a three year stay um, or three year seat or three seasons rather in the Prem. Wow. So, yeah, that is the only season where teams that have gone down have been sort of well-ish established in, in the league. So what team has been prom- Sorry, you might have What team has been promoted the most? I assume that, that is Norwich, right? It's. I think it is Norwich from what I remember writing down. Uh, Norwich have been promoted five times. Also, I think level with West Brom, um, who've also been promoted five times. Wow, that's quite impressive. So between them, they've got a lot of yo-yoing, haven't they? There's a lot of yo-yos in there. I think Watford and Fulham are also up there with four. Jeez, and... Wow. Alice and Leicester as well with four. Middlesbrough with four. Oh, well, it makes me feel better about West Ham. There's only three for now. Butchwood <laughs> could, yeah. could go a little wrong in the next couple of weeks. Um, um, you say that. You think you've only ever been relegated twice from the Premier League. Um, but we've only had yeah we've only been relegated twice, but we've had three promotions. Oh, three promotions, so, sorry, yeah, yeah. So yeah, because we weren't in the first season of the Premier League. That was it. And then we had to win. Obviously, that stint at the start of the two thousands where it was a quality squad that got relegated, and then mm. um, that flash in the pan. Um, another thing, I, actually, another thing I'd be interested to see who have ever, who have the highest finishes ever been on their first effort. In the Premier League, once again, not expecting you to be able to uh, give me an answer here and now. In their first ever season, yeah, or like they like, they get promoted, being and, promoted, or they get promotion and then they have a high place finish. Right. Um, okay. That'll be interesting. Yeah, there's. I can see here that there's some high ones like Newcastle weren't in the first season of the Premier League and then finished third on this in their first season. Um, uh, but I think that'll be same. Forest did the same. God, the early t- the early nineties were absolutely chaotic for football. You could get promoted and then be in like league title contention. Well, I mean that's that's probably how you know and like like Blackburn ended up being sort of you know Premier League champions. You know, ninety four, ninety five. They were just in that conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Um, they were just in and around. It's yeah. absolutely, absolutely crazy. Yeah, well, that about wraps it up for this week's edition of Stats Corner. Do we think these stats will get added to come the season ends? Judged by the relegation fight as it stands, it's going to be a while before we find out. As always, if you've got anything else to add to this week's edition, then please do get in touch via our socials. Tom, thank you very much for that Stats Corner. That was incredibly insightful. Um, I have to say, from what I'm looking at at the table, I think there is a high chance that one of those newly promoted sides will be joining um, the championship next season. And on the other hand, Burnley being uh, having been relegated last season, it seems quite likely at this point 
that they will be joining the Premier League again. So another a couple of yo-yo moments there. Exactly. Um, anyway, thank you for this Stats Corner. So, Tom, this week in the Premier League, amongst the other 14, there were goals absolutely everywhere. Which one of them was your goal of the week? Goal of the week. So, goals of the week this week. I have, well, I don't know about you, but I've got a shortlist of about six. So, which I've, means, I've got once again, as you said, Okay, so we're obviously differed in some places. So this will be interesting. So my opening gambit is Dwight McNeil's against Brentford's. Yeah. You know, it's a, a strong, strong drive, little little step over that he does just to sort of sidestep and then just yeah, powerful strike um past Raya into the back of the net. Um very early goal scored by Deitch's men, as we've mentioned, and they just sort of put a shield in front of that Pickford's goal pretty much for the entirety of the game. So it made it very difficult for Brentford to get anything out of that game. Um, I've got Alexi McAllister's against Leeds just because when I saw that, it just reminded me of like year 11s playing against year sevens, just the way that Bryant were passing about the ball, just sort of ping-ponging next to each other. And then Matoma just nods it down to McAllister and nods it into the back of the net. It just looks so, so easy and just so fluid and just sort of very very much symbolic of the way Deserby's Brian plays at the moment. Yeah, I did, I um, didn't have that on my I've list, got, but it was a very good finish and a good team move. It, it I mean it was a very good team move and I just thought it, it just it pretty much summed up the way Brian plays and it just looked very, very easy and very comfortable. Um I've got Patrick Bamford's against Brighton. However, he I'll just say no, straight away, it's, it's not going to win. It's also, deflected. It takes a huge deflection. Don't get me wrong, it might have still hit the back of the net, but yeah. you, see, you see the arc of the ball completely it's got, change. Yeah. It's got the satisfaction of it hitting the crossbar and going straight down. I love that. But it takes a deflection. Yeah. So it might look nice, but it, it won't be winning. But it's an honourable mention anyway. Um, I then got Jack Harrison's um, to equalise for Leeds against Brighton to make it to all. Yeah. Um, lovely little was- finish there. Um, and celebration to boot where basically just sort of stands and just sort of accepts the crowd sort of adulation to him as some, some sort of gladiator. The the only thing with um, the Harrison goal is that I just don't think they get out to him quick yep. enough. It's a really good finish, but the the speed of Bryson shutting down probably left a little bit to be desired. But um, quality finish right yeah. into the far posts. Um, there wasn't much that um, Bryson keeper could do about it, to be honest. Yeah. Um, absolutely. So yeah, very, very, very good finish there. Um, Patson Dakers against Chelsea. Um, I've written it down. I'm trying to remember it. Um, it was um, just yeah. It was he the, just um, makes a little run towards and, the edge was, of the box, it, and then yeah, yeah, and then I mean, again, it's on Kepper's near sides and Kepper from outside, um, outside the box shots isn't always the strongest but still it's a fantastic finish nevertheless um unfortunately for Leicester it was in a losing effort um and then I've got Isaacs against Wolves such a powerful header and very much typically of a center forward um who I think is just trying to rediscover his sort of goal scoring touch I think Newcastle in general are trying to rediscover their goal scoring touch I think that's the first time they scored twice in a in a Premier League game for, for quite some time 
Um, but really, really strong header um, to beat. Was it? It must have been Sarangol. It was Jose Sarangol. For Wolves. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I um, thought, yeah. Really nice finish with the header there. I thought from that game, um, Almiron's was a pretty good goal as well, to be honest. I had that on my list as a. Uh, as a Almiron's takes a wicked deflection. Oh, does it? Oh, okay. I haven't seen it from that angle. Yeah. Okay. From from the, the first time I saw it, it was an absolutely fantastic finish. And then just the reverse angle behind the goal, it does take a wicked deflection. Okay. Fair enough. Um, so yeah, those, those are my all mentions. I wouldn't say there's an absolute standout this week. So for me, there's two goals of good quality that out that maybe deserve an honourable mention. Um, I think Bournemouth's goal against Liverpool was a really well worked move. Um, in terms of Utara, their new right winger midfielder, whatever he is, his impact has been absolutely phenomenal down that right hand side for Bournemouth and. Oh, he just ran brilliantly and just the way he pulled it back and just for an easy tap-in pretty much for Billings, um, I thought was a really good goal. And then yep. the other one, and I know no one ever wins it for a penalty, but... Um, Are you going to say Saeed Ben Rahm by any chance? No, he's not going to win goal of the week, but I know it needs... Yep. A, I think it deserves a bit of a mention just because he was taking a penalty. They were one down, penalty against... Possibly a contender for the biggest shit house in football in Emmy Martinez, um, and he's got a reasonably. I good think he penalty. would gladly accept that award as well. Yeah, and he's got a reasonably good penalty score, uh, penalty saving record as well. And the way Ben Rama, t- he didn't faff about with the penalty; he absolutely rifled it hard and high, which does take him, um, yeah. as Trodini would say, a-, a lot of cojones. So. I think just as an honourable mention, in terms of quality penalties, don't get me wrong, when you like completely floor a keeper and roll it into the opposite corner, it's good. But there's nothing quite as satisfying as seeing uh, a player just run up and absolutely rocket it um, as hard as they can into the net. Exactly. So, um, for me, though, it's not my decision. Overall, I have to say, I think Jack Harrison's is probably my favourite out of all of them. You think? Yeah, I just like I, I, because you could just see what he's doing. He receives it, and the way he just plays it, and like the fact that there were quite a few bodies in the box, and he just avoids all of them. And it's yeah. one of that, or it's it's a curler from an awkward angle where the keeper doesn't want to react early to it in case someone gets their head on it. And by the time it's upon them, there's not much they can do about it. So that's yeah. why I, that's why I like it. I, I think it was definitely one of my favorite. I think the other one that I would sort of strongly consider for this week's goal of the week is Dwight McNeil's against Brentford just because of that little sort of sidestep that he does just to jink the defender off. And then just that powerful left, left footed drive um, just inside the penalty area to yeah. put past, you know, what's been a very sort of, you know, rise a fantastic keeper for Brentford this year. Um, and for Everton to then go on and, and take a win, you know, I think that's their third one nil win. Um, the highest amount that has been in the Premier League this year. Um, I think it's definitely sort of definitely um, certain plaudits for for goal of the week. Um, but I can see, I can definitely see where you're coming from, Harrison. So it's a it's a very difficult, very difficult choice. Um, well, it's your decision. Um, who's it is who's your going to? Oh, go on, Jack Harrison. You're going to get it. Oh, well, well done, Jack Harrison, on winning this week's Goal of the Week. 
so Tom, last week after our episode on Brentford, we had a question come in to us from um, a close friend of the podcast, uh, our friend George. And he asked, he said to us, um, one thing we didn't cover about Brentford was their decision not to really have an academy. So, which obviously kind of one of the main things that football teams do in the Premier League is they establish an academy to get to pull in that young talent from the local area to try and turn them into future uh, superstars. Um, Obviously, Brentford have taken that decision not to do that. One of the reasons, and we were talking about how Brentford, where they are, they're kind of completely surrounded by other top teams and Premier League teams, which then does make me kind of think that, well, that's actually a sensible decision. They would just be spending a lot of time fighting over players that your young young players that would end up going to a Chelsea or a Fulham. Um, and then it got me thinking, well, of recent seasons... How successful have the other 14 academies been? Because we talk about transfers and mm. how they sign a lot of players for a lot of money. So how much do these other, do the other 14 trust academies anyway? So Brentford, are they just actually saving a lot of time by going, oh, we're not going to bother with an academy and we'll just buy externally? And actually, does that save a lot of effort? Obviously, there's certain elements of, oh, bringing players from the local community through is kind of taken away. But at the same time, is it a really pragmatic approach? So I went through the other 14 and just had a look at players from recent seasons. So you're right. largely young players, recent seasons, who are academy graduates. And obviously they, that have gone on to play, and I didn't put a number to this, but a reasonable amount of Premier League games that we would recognise them as, oh, this player does start, this player does play a lot for this particular team. So I'm just going to run down the yep. list. And sure. then I suppose part of it is well to evaluate, given the sheer quantity of players that go through academies, how much like is it actually worth it? So, um, starting with Aston Villa of recent seasons, the only player that's really come through and played a f- lot of games is Jacob Ramsey at Bournemouth. Yeah, is only really Lee Jaden Anthony who has had a, a fair impact this season. Oh boy. Um, Brighton um, Evan Ferguson who's broken in as I know he hasn't played a lot for Brighton but he's started to like kind of fight for that starting striker option mm. then what was interesting for me is then Everton of all Everton players of like I'm talking like the last two seasons for most of these maybe three if I'm being generous yeah Gordon they bring him through and they sell him for money that could be really considered a case for an academy because you set one player for a lot of money and then suddenly that yeah. kind of justifies the process. Next one for me was most interesting. Fulham. So of notable Academy graduates, Eze, Sessignon, and Fabio Carvalho. And they've sold all three of them. Oh, I forgot about Eze. Yeah. They all came through Fulham's Academy and they all got sold. I didn't realise he really came from Fulham. Yeah, neither did I. Um, then at Leeds, you've got um, Greenwood and Somerville, both who play a fair amount for Leeds, but I don't think either of them are like out-and-out out starters. Leicester, yeah. this is the team that impressed me most, um, in that they've got Barnes, who's been playing for a good number of seasons now. He's got a lot of Premier League games. Um, Thomas and Dewsbury Hall. 
So I think in terms of like out of the yeah. academy, that that looks really good. Newcastle, you've got really only the Longstaff brothers. I was going to say the Longstaff brothers, yeah. Um, Forrest, Brennan Johnson. Obviously, we've spoken about him a lot recently coming through the academy and doing a... Uh, well, not coming through the academy, but putting in performances for Forrest. Yep. Um, at Southampton, their two main players that have really come through, they've both sold. So Ben White came through their academy. And then um, I think his name was... It was Michael Oberfemi, who is now at Burnley and getting a fair amount of games at Burnley. What about so- James Ward-Prowse? Oh, but in Dolphin, in terms of recent years, he's been because he's been a Premier League player for quite a period yeah. of time now. He's, he's, I, I didn't consider him necessarily a recent graduate, but you're right, he is a he's still a, playing, he's, yeah, you know, he's, that, he's a club legend that, now, effectively. That, that's true. Um, and then at West Ham, the only two really are uh, Ben Johnson, who's had a fairly mixed season this season, and obviously Declan Rice came through their academy. Um, and then the last team on the list is Wolves, and their main academy output over the last couple of seasons was Morgan Gibbs White, who they then sold to Forest. So I suppose, given the output that these academies generate, I don't know. I just think I'd be intrigued to know, like other fans' opinions, is it worth having an academy? Because Given the amount of talent that, say, the big clubs push through, you'll you'll be able to filter down and pick up some of those that don't quite make the cut from their teams. Mm. And also, with the amount of money that's just in football, why the amount of clearly the alternative now for Premier League teams is to just go and sign a, a, a player internationally because if you sign them for twenty twenty five million. That's not really that much compared to the money a club own, earns. And then you can have them for three seasons and sell them for about the same amount of money. While the time and effort that maybe goes into building an academy, if you put all of that money and effort into scouting like Brentford have, is that potentially a better alternative for for a team like Brentford? And clearly it's functioning for them. They're doing very well this season. Yeah. Because their recruitment is very good. They haven't needed an academy to bring mm. through loads of young talent, but they still have a ridiculously young team in general because they only sign young players with potential. And but I makes- guess on the convert on the flip side, that that is also a scouting department that is clearly working for them. Mm. Um and you know, Brentford absolutely fair play. They've obviously got a setup that clearly works for them at the moment. Um Oh, I mean, yeah. I mean, it's been working for a good number of years now. I mean, they've been sort of well on their way up for a good number of seasons now. And I'm talking sort of beyond their Premier League years. Um, you know, they've been consistently going up and up and up in, in the Championship as well. Um, I guess on the flip side, the huge example I would say about a huge, huge um, positive for, or big thumbs up really for the case for academies is that of Southampton by the fact that you know, the academy graduates that they've had and the sort of um, the, the, the huge name of the Southampton Academy, the weight that it carries um, is such a big bonus for them. You know, you but think I of the, the names my, of the players that have come through. True, but I suppose the, my the number, answer to that would be, what has that got them? I know it hasn't, but 
Like what you would say they, that they haven't but... really ever had European football. They've kind of middled in the Premier League for most seasons. Yes. But then what the, has the, the all question... this talent actually achieved for yeah. the football club? But I, I guess they're obviously selling those players on for a profit. Um, because you know, the amount of the selling on is definitely a lot more than what it's cost them to sort of bring them through the academy in the first place. Um, I guess your question would be is why haven't you spent the money better in the first place? And I think that's not a knock against academies. I think that's a knock against those in charge at the club. But but in a world where you can have the money without having to generate it from an academy, mm. it kind of, I, I just think the more money that's in football, you don't, the less clubs need to rely on nurturing this young talent. Yeah. And almost academies are... I would say potentially becoming yeah. less and less essential and more just of a, a oh a nice thing we can have because realistically, <sighs> unfortunately, given the amount of there's only a certain number of names on a starting team sheet for the first team, so many young players never make an appearance for a Premier League side, or they just end up well they just go to like get transferred to a Championship side or a League One side or a League Two side or yeah. we were talking about players that we're aware uh, of that have gone on to play for I, yeah. I, I guess I'm I'm more in the academy sort of camp just purely because of what it gives to the local communities. I know that teams do a lot in the communities and, and Brentford exactly the same. They're very much a community run club, but um I think you still have to have that reach in terms of looking into like local into the local communities and bringing them through to your club to potentially be part of your uh, potential teams in the future. Um, I think there is a huge responsibility for um, teams, especially in the direction that football in general is going, becoming much more of a global thing. I think you still need to keep that attachment to the word local. But, uh, yes. But say... (sighs) Say tomorrow. I know, but say, say tomorrow, or say next season, over the summer, that let let's just pick a t- um. What team should I pick on? Let's pick on um. Let's pick on Newcastle, for example, because they've got a load of money. If they were tomorrow, oh sorry, over the summer, to get rid of their whole academy setup and sell all players that they've got through the academy. And were to sign replacements and were to get Champions League football next season, would fans really care? I don't think so. But conversely, Manchester City—that is that is that answer because Man City have the money and they have developed in that time this world class facility where they're bringing players through the likes of Rico Lewis, the likes of Cole Palmer, the likes of Phil Foden. Uh, but once they're, again, is, is that, that's clearly then a luxury for them that they it, have the option to do that and the fact that they can be, say, give those players opportunities because they've got, like, for example, they're five points clear in the league. So why mm. for the last 20 minutes of a game when we're 3-0 up, we might as well let uh, Cole Palmer have a run out, for example. I just think for maybe for, other four, for the other 14, it's just not close to being an essential anymore and the the effort to because let's look at this relegation battle we've got nine teams in the relegation battle 
realistically, short of an injury crisis, are any managers going to give a gamble to a young talent coming through who's just been playing well in their under-21s or their under-18s and going, go on, lad, have a run out? That They're not because... Well, if you're desperate, that, yeah, by all means. No, but that's if there's an injury crisis. But otherwise, yeah. they're not going to get opportunities because points are so valuable. Yeah. Why would you necessarily risk a result on a young player who might not be quite up to standard and as much as you can go oh they only get better by giving them opportunities the opportunities are just so much more valuable for the present so much more of a risk for clubs in relegation battles but I guess that also is then then comes into the scouting behind it you know clubs do look at academies as well as actual teams they do go into um, academies and looks at certain players and think you know, that this lad's a real prospect he could potentially come through um, and they'll spend like you know a million quid on him whatever and and, and bring him through exactly. um, well I suppose my argument would be at this point for the other 14 so like Brentford I think he's still going to have a look at Man City Man U Chelsea's youth players and if they don't quite make the cut at those teams they can then pick them up and almost piggyback off of it like, as much as we talk about, West Ham fans talk about Declan Rice coming through their academy, they only got Declan Rice because Chelsea rejected him and they were able to go... Admittedly, they were still in element of nurturing him for, like, three years or so. But if they're slightly longer along that process, you can kind of... I think there's a possibility that Brentford might be doing the right thing in that you can just kind of... As long as your scouting is good enough, you don't need, you don't will not need an academy to back it up. I guess, uh, but I, I just think that there's, there is multiple ways to go about it. And like I said, obviously what Brentford's doing absolutely works for them. Um, I, ju- I just think clubs are well set up now to have academies in the first place where even if, like you said in, in the previous example, that if you are sort of desperate for points and, you know, barring a massive, massive injury crisis, you're not going to play these sort of youngsters sort of coming through. No, but if there's someone on the verge of, of potentially coming through or could definitely use with a couple of minutes in senior football, that's also what the loan system is for. And there's yeah. teams in like league, in the championship, in league one, in league two, that would be desperate. These, these sort of players on a one-year loan, potentially to obviously give them experience to um, for the younger lads to come through. Um, to see senior football, but also for these teams to potentially push up, um, um, build up their squads and potentially push for promotions into higher leagues. Mm. So there's that also. Yeah, no, I think I think that's fair. I just think it's an it's an interesting. Uh, question, yeah, though, I, I just think it's quite calculated from Brentford, given the yeah. amount of almost. And I'm going to be cruel and say waste in academies of they bring through. They obviously have large cohorts of players, and just because of the nature yeah. of it, so many don't make it. Yeah, it's a, it's a tough gig to break into. No, yeah, exactly. No doubt so whatsoever. almost like they're circumventing this by just going, well, why have the whole process and we'll just scout someone and yeah. spend 20 million on someone and bring them in. Like they decide, they signed Hickey, for example, from uh, Bologna. Like that was, mm-hmm. they haven't played him too much because he's still young, but, and um, they've gone, well, he's a young player. We'll just sign him for a market value and to go from there rather than try and bring their own fullback through. Um, it's an interesting approach, and I'm not saying I'm definitely anti-academy because that's not the case, but I just think it's a very interesting approach and um, a good question from uh, from George there. Yep, cheers, George. 
Now it is time for our Fab Four contest, the competition that pitches our score prediction skills against one another. Um, Tom, we didn't really call the games that well in that we were surprised by Everton getting a win. Mm-hmm. We thought Brentford were going to do a job. Um, Leeds getting a point at, at home to Brighton surprised us. Uh, we didn't see honours being shared at the London Stadium between West Ham and Villa in the John Carew derby. But we both saw Newcastle winning against Wolves, didn't we? We did. We uh, did. And you you thought Newcastle were uh, going to uh, keep the clean sheet and score just the one goal. Yep. And for that, you got one point. But I accurately and correctly predicted that... Newcastle would win two, one. So we know what? Go on. As I, I was when when I was sort of looking at this today, I was just thinking, oh, I'm pretty sure I remember one of us at least guessing two one. I was like, I think it was me, but I just can't remember. And then I looked at it, and then just the huge disappointment suddenly came over my face. But I was like, I'm pretty sure one of us guessed at least two one, because that was a sensible guess. Yeah, it was. Obviously, I wasn't sensible enough to make it. Mm, indeed. Um, I think, to be honest, based on our results, we can go back and look. I think you probably get the correct result more often but uh, than me, but I get. I think I've got more the correct score lines to just yeah. kind of boost me up. Um, so with that, of, and with those points, Tom, that moves you on to 34 points, and I am on 38 points. 38 points, just two points shy of relegation safety. Um, Tom, before we go on to predict our next four games, can you please tell us what games we have to look forward to in the upcoming game week? So this game week, it's game week 28 of this year's Premier League. And we have... Friday night football kicking things off. We have Nottingham Forest going up against Newcastle. Then in the Saturday kickoffs, the three o'clocks, we have Brentford against Leicester. It's Southampton against Tottenham. Villa Bournemouth. Wolves take on Leeds United. And in the evening kickoff, it is Chelsea against Everton. And the one fixture on the Sunday, we have Arsenal against Crystal Palace. There are three games that are off this week. Liverpool, Fulham, City, West Ham and Brighton United, purely because it's FA Cup week. Yes, and I think maybe some breaks for these teams would be quite nice. Given their run of form, I don't think West Ham will be too upset about not playing Man City this week. And I think maybe Brighton um, just... I'll be happy nice. not playing Fulham this week. <laughs> Yes, uh, I'm sure Marco Silva and his men will be very disappointed. (coughs) And so for our games this week for us to predict, we have the John Joe Shelby derby with Forrest at home to Eddie Howe's men. We have Brentford v Leicester and whether Leicester can continue their unbeaten run against Brentford. We then have Villa versus Bournemouth and Wolves v Leeds. So, Tom, Forest v Newcastle, the Voldemort derby. Where do you think the goals will be going? Ooh, um, like we said sort of previous weeks, Newcastle have been on a bit of a downturn in form. I think the last time before this um, result against Wolves at the weekend, I looked at the form table and I think they were sort of down like towards the bottom places of form table wise um 
but I think the win against Wolves will do them a lot of favours. They're obviously just trying to rediscover a little bit of goal-scoring form. Forest's form of late has been a little bit sort of sketchy, to say the least, but I think being at home, you know, we've said City Ground is a very um, bit, of a bit of a fortress for them. Um, however, saying that, I think Newcastle will go into this game having rediscovered some of their mojo. I will say Newcastle 2, Forest 1. Forest 1, Newcastle 2. I just had a bit of a thought and I've had a bit of a look about a hunch of mine. Uh-oh. Do you know when Forest last lost at home in the Premier League? Um, it was, was it against Spurs. It was in their back-to-back three-two losses when they lost to Bournemouth and Fulham three-two at home in September. Since. Wow. They have drawn with Villa, they have beaten Liverpool, they drew with Brentford, they've beaten Palace, they drew with Chelsea, they then went on to beat Leicester um, and beat Leeds, draw with Man City and draw with Everton. Their home form is low-key outstanding. They have really turned that into a thought, once again, not something I've picked up till now. So, Forest v Newcastle, um, I'm going to say it's going to be a 1-1 draw because I think Newcastle obviously have a little bit of a bounce back. But, obviously, Forest, turns out they just get points at home. They don't like losing at home. That's that's something for relegation rivals to be concerned about. I think Newcastle nick it just at the end. Okay, and then... Um, sorry, we've got nine minutes. We can wrap through this yeah. in the exit by then. And then, so we have Brentford v Leicester. Tom, do you think Brentford can overcome this awful winless run against Leicester? Oh, yeah, Christ. What is it? it was, uh, like 11 or 12 11? games. We did, yeah. yeah, we did say. Um, obviously, West Ham extended that run against Brighton the other week. I, I think I, I have to say I think West Ham were very passive in that extension. And yeah. It was mostly Brighton doing all the work there. I do think Brentford come into this game as absolute favourites. Leicester are just sort of trying to rediscover any sort of form because they're you know level on points with the relegation zone at, as the moment at, at the moment as it stands. Um, that being said, Brentford with a disappointment of losing um, against Everton during the, uh, the weekend to end that sort of unbeaten run, I think that they would just sort of like shrug their shoulders, you know wipe off the dust and just sort of go again. Um, I will go for a... I'll go Brentford 2, Leicester 1. Nice. Um, I'm just going to feel weird about this. I think this run will continue. Um, Leicester have been so hit or miss. Brentford, I know, have a really good home record and have been on a really good run, but I'm going to say that surprising Leicester are going to win 2-0. Okay. Okay, and then we have Villa v Bournemouth in the Tyrone Mings derby. Yes, yes, yes. Um, so, which way do you think this is going to go? Obviously, Bournemouth very much needing points, but Villa very good at home. Villa very good at home. They play well at home. Bournemouth, I think, will have obviously been buoyed by the result against Liverpool at the weekend. However, I I'm going down the route that it would have taken a lot out of them. And I think this will be very much sort of a bit of an anti-climax 
um, sort of going into this game thinking, oh, do they get like two wins on the bounce? Is that going to be a thing? Um, although on the travels, you know, they have been performing well of late. Obviously, you look back to that Arsenal game, they went two goals ahead. Unfortunately, did lose the game 3-2 in the end. However, I think Villa will just be better on the day. And I think it will be Villa 3, Bournemouth 0. Oh, I'm glad you said that because I was thinking Villa 3, Bournemouth 1 that whole time. So I think mm. Gary O'Neill's men might snatch something. And then lastly, we have, this will all be settled by Saturday. So, and a Saturday kickoff, 3pm, Wolves v Leeds. Now this is a relegation dogfight. This is with huge. only four points separating them. If Leeds win, they're only one point behind Wolves with a game in hand on them. Mm. So I just realised that game in hand that everyone has over Wolves and Everton is so essential. Yeah. Um, okay. I think Wolves are going to be the better side here. They've got quite good at home under Lopetegui. They've become slightly less wasteful. Leeds, I don't think at the moment, travel particularly well. So I'm going to say that it will be a... Three no a 2-0 Wolves win. I mean, you you were listening off your reason reasonings there, and I was just ticking them off what I was thinking also in my head. You basically said Leeds don't travel well, Wolves are pretty much set up quite well under Lopetegui right now, and their home form is pretty good of late. Um, and I think that will play to form come this weekend. I think Wolves will be the favourites. They will be the dominant force in this game. I think Leeds will show a little bit of bounce-back ability. They might go one goal down and then end up sort of equalising at some point. But I, I think Wolves might just have a little bit too much for them. Um, I, I'm going to go for 2-1. 8-2-1 win to Wolves there. Well, we will find out how we do on next week's episode of the podcast. And with that, we are at the end of this week's episode of the Other 14 podcast. Tom, thank you for joining me on this week's episode. You're welcome. And please, in the next week, please don't tweet anything controversial. That means that I might have to suspend you for next week's episode. And thank you to everyone for downloading and listening to this week's episode. Please subscribe to us and give us a rating on your podcast platform of choice. Also do recommend us to your friends, family and other 14 fans. So it's goodbye from me. And it's a goodbye from me. And it's also good luck to Brighton and Fulham in the FA Cup this coming weekend. As they face Grimsby and Fulham travel to United. Absolutely. And we will see you next week on the Other 14 podcast. <laughs>